This is Vash Bodhi with another episode of TTV, Talk to Vash. In this episode, the focus is on Bayard Rustin, the black gay man who organized the marches on Washington and Selma in the 60s. I speak with Walter Nagel, long-term partner to the inspirational human rights pioneer, Bayard Rustin. My name is Walter Nagel. I live in New York City, and my time is pretty much devoted at this point to preserving the legacy of Bayard Rustin and promoting information about him to the larger community, educating people about him. How would you introduce Bayard Rustin? Bayard Rustin was a significant figure in the advancement of the democratization of the United States in the 20th century. And that's a very general and a broad definition. Most people remember him as the organizer of the 1963 March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom where Dr. Martin Luther King gave his very famous I Have a Dream speech. Bayard was 51, 52 years old at that point in his life, and he had 25, 30 years of actively organizing prior to that. He wasn't just involved in African-American civil rights issues. He was involved in what we think of nowadays as human rights issues before that term was really in the common nomenclature. He was working in anti-colonial movements abroad over in Africa. He was over in India during the end of the British colonization of India. He was working against the proliferation of atomic weapons. So he wasn't sort of a one-issue person, but the large umbrella issue was the whole issue of making the world safer and providing rights to all people all over the world. How did you meet Bayard? I met Bayard in 1977 in Times Square, kind of the crossroads of the world. And at that point, I was thinking of relocating to San Francisco. This was in April. And I was waiting on the corner to cross the street and go over to the store. And Bayard came along, and we were both standing there. And we just kind of looked at each other, and (laughs) lightning struck. I made it to the store. I got my newspaper. But I never made it out to San Francisco. And, you know, we were sort of dating spending a lot of time together, weekends together, for the first year or so. And then I pretty much moved in with him in his apartment. In this apartment? Yeah, right here in this apartment that we're sitting in. Yeah, this is where we lived together for the 10 years that I was with him. How are you continuing to spread Byers' legacy? I work very closely with the makers of the documentary film Brother Outsider, The Life of Byard Rustin. We do a lot of appearances together because... It's one thing to be talking to a group of people about someone, but when you have the visual and the audio images of that person that you can work with, it really gives the audience much more of a flavor and an idea of who that person actually was. The film came out in 2003, and you know, documentaries don't normally have a very long life, but there's something about Bard's story that I think people find inspiring. And over the last 10 years, you know, during Black History Month, during Gay Pride Month, there would be showings of the film, and we would make appearances doing Q&As or being on panel discussions about it. But in the last couple of years, it's been picked up as a diversity training tool in a lot of corporations and law firms. And they will have like a diversity event, and they'll show the film, and they'll have a discussion. And one of the things about this film is because of Bayard's many identities, his many hats, if you will. You know, he was African-American, he was gay, he was involved in various social movements. It's an opportunity to bring people to the same table that might not always be there. And so it really provides an opportunity, I think, for people to have dialogue that would not normally be engaged in those kinds of discussions. So I think it opens up a lot of doors. The film's also being shown in a lot of schools. 
It's being used in the, in the California curriculum, mainly in the high schools. It's really getting Bayard's message out there, but also the larger message about living your truth, being who you are, overcoming obstacles. I mean, he overcame tremendous obstacles during his life to become who he was. And I think it's inspiring in that way. I mean, it's not a film about a perfect man. It's not a film about a saint. Kids can look at it and see, this is a hero. This is somebody I could become, as opposed to looking at a film about someone else who shall remain nameless. But, you know, that person was so perfect, I could never become that person. This is somebody that had the same struggles that I have. And it's not the person's fault. It's largely the culture. I mean, the culture likes to create these heroes, these idols, not even heroes, idols, people that you kind of worship, you know, a lot of entertainment figures, people like that. It's interesting, in the latest book that came out about Bayard, it's a collection of his letters. In one of the letters, he says something to the effect that they're doing to Dr. King the same thing that they did to Gandhi. They're turning him into a figure of veneration, a figure to worship as opposed to an inspirational figure. So, you know, I, w I would say, you know, someone like Dr. King, certainly someone like Gandhi, people didn't think of these people as saints. And of course they weren't, they were very human. And I think as historians do their research and write books and things about it, these people and their human frailties come out. And I think that's all to the good. I think it's healthier. But, you know, I think there's something in human nature that kind of wants gods. We've created a god, if you will. And in some ways, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I think you want people that can inspire you and to guide you along the journey, not show you how weak or how imperfect you are. To a certain degree, um, some of that used to happen with Bayer too in some quarters, but um, I think um, it's important to accept your leaders with their faults as well as their leadership abilities and their positive aspects. You really you have to embrace the whole person. What are some of those obstacles Bayard had to overcome? Bayard had baggage, if you will. When he first came to New York, he had a brief flirtation of affiliation with the Young Communist League. Because at that time, the Communist Party was really one of the few organizations that was dealing with the issue of racial discrimination, segregation, racial injustice. They had a committee to um, end discrimination in the military. And in the early days of World War II, the Communist Party was against World War II. And so they were out there agitating people to resist you know, service, do that kind of thing. And that was consistent with Bayard's own beliefs. But then when Germany invaded the Soviet Union, they just did it about face, like overnight. And they told Bayard to disband his committee to end discrimination. And he felt that you know, this was uh, unwarranted, untrue, if you will, not faithful to the reasons that he joined the League. And so he, he just left. Another thing was he was a draft resistor, a conscientious objector during World War II. And World War II, we always think of that as the good war. It was the fight against Hitler and Nazism. And so taking that kind of a position was not very popular at the time. And of course, the third thing was the fact that he was gay. He was homosexual. And he was arrested on a morals charge in 1953 out in Pasadena, California. Morals charge? He was discovered in the backseat of a car with two guys like, I don't know, it was like, I think, one or two in the morning on a back street. And, you know, he was arrested, and he did time in, in the local jail. And so when people wanted to attack the movement, if Bayard was any kind of a visible presence, they would kind of go for the juggernaut, they would go for him, and it's, they would, you know, here's this commie pinko fag, 
leading the civil rights movement or organizing these demonstrations. And they got away with that for quite a number of years. But as far as overcoming the obstacles, Bayard was someone who was very strong. He had a very strong sense of identity. He had tremendous personal courage. He was out there in the 1940s, sometimes by himself, sometimes with three or four other activists going into the South and riding on trains and buses, going into restaurants, being arrested, and really risking their lives. I mean, they could have been lynched. And so he had a really strong sense of himself and a strong sense of standing up to evil, if you will. And so he was not discouraged or he was not defeated by these continuous attacks. Where he was disappointed in the fact that the leadership, including Dr. King, did not support him. You know, when these threats came to light, they would say, okay, well, we've got to ditch rest them for a while, or we've got to send them into the shadows or whatever. So he would kind of disappear off the, off the scene for a while. But then when the 1963 march came, Strom Thurmond tried the same thing. It was about two weeks before the march. He got up on the Senate floor and read into the Senate record, you know, Byard's arrest record and all of this stuff. And that was the time when the civil rights leadership under the leadership of A. Philip Randolph, who was really the dean of the civil rights movement, that was the time when they rallied around Byron. Mr. Randolph was kind of telling people to step into line here, if you will. It was two weeks before the march. The tremendous organization had gone into it. It was going to happen one way or the other. It was like a train coming down the track. There was no way to really turn it around. And so finally, the united leadership, you know, with Mr. Randolph as the spokesman, came out and made a statement on behalf of Byard's character. And because of that, you know, it kind of eliminated the opportunities of people to do that kind of thing in the future. You know, it pulled the rug out. And I'm not going to say that people didn't try it. People did try it. But at that point, it was like, you know, all of this stuff, it's out there, it's in the national news, it's on the front page of the newspapers. So that's it. There's nothing more to be said about it. So they united around him and supported him as the deputy director of the march, and things moved forward. What would you like people to remember most about Bayard? I guess if you had to say one thing, you know, you would say the March on Washington. And it was an accomplishment. I mean, people look at the March on Washington, and they always associate it with Dr. King. You know, Dr. King gave the greatest speech on that day, and possibly the greatest speech of his life. There were many other people that spoke that day. Bayard spoke or read the demands of the march that day. But what you need to think about is Washington at that time was just pretty much a southern city. It was a segregated city. There were not a lot of places where African Americans could stay, eat, do that kind of thing. I mean, people were terrified of the march. Nothing like that had ever been seen before. The Kennedy administration was lobbying and working against it. They finally had to just give in to it and cooperate with it, but they were terrified. Businesses closed down. Certainly all of the liquor stores in Washington area were closed that day, and people left the city because they were afraid. We think of the I Have a Dream speech, which was really the last speech of the day, I think, but what would have happened had violence broken out? That speech might have never been delivered. And so it was because of the masterful organization of Byron that really gave the platform, gave the opportunity for that speech to be delivered. So I think you know, that was a, truly a great accomplishment. But I think more importantly, he was largely responsible for showing Americans a way to nonviolently petition your government, whether it be your local government or the national government, 
to organize nonviolently, to be out there and demonstrating and to achieve gold. He'd gone over to India and studied with the heirs of Gandhi after Gandhi was assassinated. And he really learned, I think, the mechanics and the ideas behind really bringing large groups of people together. That was the main thing that he really offered to Dr. King. This is Vash Bodhi, and I have been speaking with Walter Nagel. To learn more information about Bayard Rustin and the documentary Brother Outsider, visit rustin.org. Remember, if you have a story to tell, TTV, talk to Vosh. And while you're here, listen to another episode of TTV. You know you want to.